Hey, hey. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to the same drugs with Megan Murphy. I'm Megan Murphy. <laughs> I'm Laura McNally. Uh, sorry, there's a siren in the background. I'm not closing my window. It's way too hot. <laughs> I've got the fan on and the window open. Do you have air of- con? You're poor person. No. I mean, in Vancouver, it's only hot for like two months out of the year. So it seems like a major investment for just two months when I could just point uh, several fans at my face instead. Right. How, what's the hottest you get there? Uh, probably like 30 degrees. And that's abnormal. Like right now, but my apartment gets crazy hot. So I get a ton of sun and it gets nuts. So it's probably like 23 right now, which is fine. Like if you're outside, but. At a certain point in my apartment, it gets quite stuffy. Um, <laughs> and I just don't want to be doing our live streams with, like, sweat dripping down my face and, like, mm-hmm. looking mm-hmm. any shinier than I already look. And lighting is really hot as well. It's, like, a lot of... Yeah. Yeah, There's the lighting lot. that we have to use to make us look this good is... My two bedside <laughs> lamps. It's really hot. <laughs> Your two bedside <laughs> lamps. Oh. Not my, like, giant blaring, like, white studio light right in front of me. I have just bought one, so I'll probably look way worse next week when the actual full lighting is on. It'll probably look just (laughs) as red as I do. Um, Okay, so, you guys, tonight I think we're going to try to uh, talk about some of the topics that we said that we were going to talk about on the show. (laughs) This is a goal. A goal for every week is... Talk about any topics and try to stay on topic um, because, you know, it's really easy for us to get chatting because, A, I often forget that there's, like, an audience that's watching or listening and that it's not just, like, me and Laura hanging out and, like, saying mean things about people (laughs) talking about fillers and, like, microneedling or dumb people on the internet. I mean, there's, a, there's not a us. Other dumb people on the internet. No, other dumb people. <laughs> like it's never us. <laughs> We're always the smart ones. Come I'm not on. always the smart one. Okay, so how was your week, Laura? How are you feeling? Um, What's going on? What have you been doing? Pretty good. Pretty feeling. Feeling quite good, actually. Tired, but good. How about you? I feel really good. As I mentioned to you earlier, <laughs> I was like, it's so funny when, like, you suddenly start feeling good. Like, if you've had, like, a hard time, um, we can get more into this on the Patreon-only segment that we'll be doing immediately after this live stream, everyone. I believe I put the link down below. But, uh, I mean, yeah, like, when you've been having a rough time, like, if you've been feeling depressed or anxious or sad or whatever you sort of you know in your brain that at some point you're going to come out of it and you're going to feel better because you've been through it before this is the good thing about being old and not young is that you're like okay this has happened to me before i've had a hard time before it's not going to last forever it'll be okay whereas i think when you're young you just are like oh my god this is awful like when is like what how am i ever going to fix this i'm never going to not feel this way Like, I'm going to be crying over my boyfriend for the rest of my life. For the rest of my life. There will never be another one. This was the only one. (laughs) Mark was the only one. Mark, how old was I? When I was, like, 20 years old. 
I was going to say the year, but I can't even remember. 2000. I would have been oh, 20 in 2000. I thought we were going to talk about the year of grade three boyfriends again. I didn't have any boyfriends in grade two. Oh, that's Mark right. Was my first boyfriend when I was 20. Oh, a late bloomer. That's not what I was going to talk about either. I kind of, I guess I, I kind of was a late bloomer. Um, wow. I, I, you got, I think I, I think I gave like a little bit of a, well, I gave it, I gave a teaser to Laura, but to no one else that, um, we have, we have a lot to discuss on the Patreon. <laughs> yeah. I've had some revelations. Um, but, uh, yeah. So anyway, I, I mean, I've, I've had a hard year. So I had a hard year for some emotional reasons and for some other stress reasons. And then of course there was COVID and the lockdown and that's hard and stressful and isolating. I think probably for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mean today, 2020 was hard or 2019 or both? Well, for me personally, I've been having a hard time since October, so. (laughs) (laughs) kind of bright. Actually, maybe even August. I think I've been having a hard time. I've been having a hard time for a year. Um, Mm. But uh, today I was like, wow, I feel great. I feel, I don't feel anxious. I feel like excited and happy and it's, Mm. it's exciting. So guys, don't worry if you feel bad. Just it'll be one long, terrible year and then it'll be all over. <laughs> there's this author i like that was that said uh, i think she wrote like uh there are some years that ask questions and some years that give answers and like getting older is like having the wisdom to know which kind of year you're having and just like having the patience to write it out and not be like i've got a chat like we get very frantic when we're young and immature and it's just like i've got to fix this now and there's this like desperation and clinging and a lot of the suffering is the clinging to the getting it back to how it was when I was younger and life was easy and so we kind of compound our own suffering by resisting the suffering and trying to get away and got to be positive I've got to be happy I can't be sad and like the hole gets deeper and deeper until at some point you go fuck it I give up (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I do think it's kind of true that you kind of just have to go through it and Mm. uh, feel it out. And I mean, obviously, you also want to like, add things to your life that are going to help and make it better. Like, there's Mm. nothing wrong with trying to, I don't know, obviously exercise, you know, find hobbies that you enjoy things that you do I mean, I usually like if I'm feeling bad, like pack the like socializing in as a distractor Mm. um but yeah i mean you sort of are like fix this fix this fix this like what are all the band-aids that i can put on this to make me stop feeling this way and at the end of the day i kind of think you just have to have like a certain level of acceptance and just be like okay well this is just going to be a hard time and i'm going to go through it and i'm just going to have to feel sad or angry or stressed for a bit and do the best I can at a certain point I'll feel better and come out of it it's funny where like high performers like uh, a lot of our culture uh, is around high performance and it's often high performance at work like you've got to be the best in your field and you've got to be excelling and hitting all your targets and we kind of do that with our interior like emotional lives like you've always got to be happy you've got to be kicking goals all the time and like sometimes having a shit time and just letting it happen 
is enough of a goal. Like it doesn't have to be more than that. But we yeah. kind of we were. I guess it's the clinging to the notion that we could be in control when in reality, like like COVID has brought a lot of people's worlds crashing down because it's like, oh, I'm actually not in control. Like no one's in control. Like I thought at least maybe the government was. I thought someone had control. Uh, no, <laughs> nobody has any idea what's going on or what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, fucking nobody. Like the World yeah. Health Organization doesn't know. <laughs> the governments don't know. The like even expert. like health experts were like giving us like wildly different information. Yeah. Um, I mean, we. I think we've sort of started to figure it out. Um, mm. now, but mm. it did, uh, it did take a while. Um, you see how frantic people get though in that initial search for answers. Like we need an answer now. Like what well, is that's the stress? Now? The not knowing is the stress. That's yeah. the anxiety. The anxiety is exactly that. It's like, we don't really understand what's going on. We don't know when this is going to end. We don't know how this is going to end. We don't know what we're supposed to be doing even. Like, it was, like, for a long time, it's like, do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? Like, do we have to be social distancing? Are there, like, asymptomatic carriers? Um, is are, is it only old people who are going to die? Like, younger people aren't going to be affected? Uh, and so on and so forth. And... Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we know a bit now, but we still we still don't even know how things are going to end. Like, for, it was like, oh well, when we when we get a vaccine, everything will be okay. But that's not true either. You know, yeah. like there's not going to be some magic vaccine all of a sudden in like January that just cures it all. That's not mm. what's going to happen. That's not realistic at all. Mm. Um, I don't know. So I I sort of think. I mean, I, I things have opened up quite a bit in BC. Mm-hmm. And as I've mentioned before a number of times, like BC did pretty well. We didn't have that many cases or deaths in comparison to other provinces, definitely in comparison to the U.S. Um, and so I've kind of just gotten back to trying to like live my life as best as I can. You know, mm-hmm. you can go to bars and go to restaurants. Things are still weird because like there's barriers up everywhere and everybody's in masks and blah, blah, blah. But it's the summer, and I'm just going to try to have a good summer, mm. despite the fact that I can't escape from this stupid city. And <laughs> stupid city. I can't be protested by <laughs> hundreds of people, so that's a big downer. Mm. No, I, I'm not at any events where 700 people are standing outside telling me to stop uh, killing people. <laughs> with, my, with my passion for women's, women's rights, as we know. With your words. Deadly. (laughs) My words. Biology is real. Yeah, Um, that's that's a death sentence, Megan. How dare you? Okay, somebody says any truth to the rumors about Megan being booked as a guest on Joe Rogan's podcast. So, Joe Rogan has talked about me on his podcast several times now, and I would really like to go on so that I could explain what it is that's actually going on, what it is that I actually think, because he doesn't, he's, he's like repping for me and I appreciate oh, yeah. that. And he does a decent job, but he really doesn't understand my positions at all. I don't think I have this. I think at some point he was like, Oh, isn't she that like lesbian radical feminist? And I was like, <laughs> you don't understand me at all. <laughs> like How he's just assuming that it's like, Oh, some 
lesbian radical. I think that some weird lesbian woman. <laughs> I love how well, they do that. It's. I mean, not, there's nothing wrong with being a lesbian. Of course, I'm not a lesbian, but it's that I think it's like some people will be like, oh, radical feminist, like rabid, hairy, yeah, yeah, yeah. man-hating lesbian or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and yeah. just because I, I want to hold Twitter accountable and that would be the best platform to do that. That would actually make mm-hmm. a difference. Cause, and he had Jack Dorsey on and his safety person, I always forget her name, and they just libeled me. Like, they just lied. And mm-hmm. I was so angry to watch them be like, oh, you just get to go on Joe Rogan and lie about me and I don't get to respond. Um, and I was actually in touch with his booker a few times last year and then it just kind of fell off. So mm-hmm. um, I'd really like to get back on there. At the same time, I can't travel to the U.S. because the U.S. is the worst. So no one's allowed to go into the U.S. or leave the U.S. Yeah. So that might not be an option right now. Um but, uh, yeah, so, I don't know, that's, I, I feel good, and, um, uh, yeah, so, I, I guess, like, one of the things, I've been talking, well, yeah, so I've been talking to Laura, I've been talking at Laura about Britney Spears <laughs> for, like, a long time now, like, how long, like, as I long actually, as it's been going on, a couple months? I find her fascinating. I don't know if it was you that sent her account to me or me that sent her account to you, but like I always found her Instagram fascinating. I was just thinking like she's so authentic in this weird way that's like so much of Instagram is highly manufactured, especially with celebrities and it's, and and you can see how fake it is and Britney's is kind of the opposite but not and it's just so interesting right yeah so I guess like maybe a couple months ago or maybe even more than that she started posting these really strange videos um of her like dancing and posing um and looking pretty rough like and not trying to you know pick on someone's appearance but like Mm -hmm. she doesn't look good like her eyeliner is whack and like her hair is always looking kind of greasy and crappy and she's wearing these strange outfits like she's still really really into that low 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 rise trend that she got a lot of people started on (laughs) back in what like 98 or 99 or something like that which is the worst fucking trend that has ever existed and if it comes back i'm going to die like if it comes back i'm just gonna have to be unfashionable because i'm not going back to low rise after we've been gifted with pants that go all the way up over my belly button like no. And they show your ass crack all the time. Do you remember or your thong? Yes. Yeah. My thong was always hanging out of my pants. They they don't stay on. Like I'm constantly pulling them up. And you like they just accentuate your love hand. Like they're not flattering. They make your legs look short. And and Britney Spears has short legs. So she she's a, one of those people who has like a long torso and short legs. So she shouldn't be wearing low, low, low rise pants, first of all. But why no one has ever told her this? If you have a long torso and short legs, it just accentuates that. I'm sure someone has told her. So she, I guess she doesn't care. 
Yeah. So she's wearing these like weird little super low rise shorts and these crop tops and these kind of like clog ish shoes. And she's doing these like strange like dance videos in her eyeliner and looking kind of like a crazy person. She looks like a crazy person. She seems for like, I was immediately concerned and all these people were like, ha ha, like look at Britney Spears. Like they're either making fun of her or like, yeah, you go girl. Like, isn't she awesome? Look at what she's doing. And I was just like, oh my God, you guys, this woman is on so many drugs it is just like out of it. Like she's got serial, serial, serious like mental health issues, mm-hmm. and is clearly on drugs. And is you know, I w- I was just very concerned. I was like, what's happening with her? So I keep sending Laura all these videos. And I was like, what's going on? What's going on? Why is no one helping her? Like who is there with her? Who is filming these videos? And mm-hmm. sometimes it seemed like it was her boyfriend, and I was like why is her boyfriend not intervening? Why is no one intervening? Like, mm-hmm. why is no one helping her? Um, and, yeah. I, what did you think when you were watching all this stuff? Um, part of me immediately thought um, it's somewhat unsurprising when child stars have this, you know, quite erratic behavior that we associate with mental illness when they're older. Um, And I feel like it's happened with a number of child stars because obviously that is an incredibly unhealthy way to grow up and it like has to manifest in something, Um, you know, like look at Michael Jackson, like so such a bizarre person manifested in the worst way. And I'm not saying Britney's anything like Michael, but it's like, this bizarre behavior that you, you you don't know how to characterize. Um, and I just found it so interesting because it almost seems authentic compared to how fake most of celebrity content on Instagram is. Like it was almost right. like it was just her home videos. And I was like, wow, she's, she's literally just sharing just crappy home videos that's essentially what they are they're just like they're not really made for fans or they're just like her messing around with the camera and putting it on the internet which no celebrity does now because they all have you know teams of marketing people working on their content day and night and it's just like she's just filming these little skits and just chucking them online it's 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 such an outlier compared to what we used to see Yeah, it's true. And then, like, but as you continue watching, you sort of start to realize, like, oh, it's because she's, like, trapped in the house and bored and kind of losing her mind a little bit. But then, as things started to open up and people started to be able to go out again, she was still trapped in her home producing these weird videos, Hmm. um, posing and dancing or whatever. Mm -hmm. And... And for a long time, I was like, why is no one else talking about this? Like, I don't understand why no one else is expressing concern or whatever. But I guess people have been. And now, thank God, there's this free Britney movement. And, like, what people are talking about is that, like, it's super fucked, actually. She's being totally exploited. Like, she's... I'm just going to read... This is from an Instagram post online, but I also did, like, look up information. So it's not just, like, Mm -hmm. some weird invented conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. It is, like, 
kind of legit. So, I mean, so first of all, yeah, she's a child star. So she's been working since she was like four years old. Um, she was in the Mickey Mouse Club or whatever. And then, um, so in this in this Instagram post, it says, um, if anyone has ever seen videos of her when she was younger, you'd know, this is the part I thought was interesting, you'd know her real singing voice is very similar to Christina Aguilera's. Her record label didn't like it as they were both on the Mickey Mouse Club and about to release their de- debut albums at the same time. So they had her voice retrained to sing in that baby voice um, that we all know and recognize as the Britney Spears thing. I mean, it's also like the, I feel like she started the vocal fry trend, mm-hmm. right? Which mm-hmm. is incredibly irritating. Although people in the comments have told us that we do that. I don't think we do that. I don't think that person knew what vocal fry was, but um, it's what the girls on Red Scare do. <laughs> If you ever listen to Red Scare, that's what they're doing. They're doing vocal fry. It's kind of what you do when you're like too uh, cool. You're too cool to like. You're too cool, really but you're also really sexy. Probably. Yeah. So it's not really <laughs> like we don't laugh. We just kind of talk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're really calm and really sexy, baby. And or smoke a pack of cigarettes a day. Paris Hilton used to always do it too. The baby mm-hmm. voice vocal mm-hmm. fry thing. Um, so they made her retrain her voice, and that actually wrecked her voice. Vocal fry is really hard on your vocal cords, so they fucked up her voice in doing that. Um, and she can't really go back to using her real voice because she's ruined it. Um, but so the main thing is that like we all watched her have this like meltdown, um, this break in like 2007, and she shaved her head and she was but in a mental institution um, and she got a divorce. And uh, when that happened, it was her dad, her dad petitioned the courts for conservatorship to become permanent. Um, he, I guess he had conservatorship while she was going through all this, but he petitioned to make that permanent um, due to her allegedly having early onset dementia in her twenties. So he basically controls everything that she does and controls all of her assets. And Britney Spears is worth something like $58 million or something like that. And she's continuing to make money, $59 million, that was in 2018. And, you know, she's continued to amass wealth um, that's controlled by her dad. So... Because he has conservatorship, which he's had since 2008, he controls, I mean, she's not allowed to do anything. She's not allowed to drive a car. She's not allowed to vote. She's not allowed to get married. She's not allowed to have children. She's not allowed to spend her own money. And she's not allowed to speak publicly about any of this. Um, And so she's basically a prisoner, yeah. Uh, she's not even allowed to get her own lawyer. Mm-hmm. So I think um, this week her mother tried to intervene. Um, and and there's a petition going around to to allow her to get her own lawyer so that she can actually fight this. But yeah, so her mom filed a legal request this week to be included in financial decisions affecting Brittany. Um, but I just find, 
I just find the whole thing so freaky. Like, she's been controlled by her father since she was, like, 20 and has had no control over her life and has been making him and others rich. How often does this happen with um, child stars, though? Like, their parents kind of set them up for this life of success and they see it as their ticket to freedom. Um, you see it with the the women that push little girls into modeling, like starting really young, doing beauty pageants, and then gymnastics, like gotta get in. Even yeah, like, do you know about gymnastics? Like how competitive the parents are. I feel like there's competitive they start parents them when in every little kids, and then yeah. they. Just... I just, I, I mean, I just think gymnastics is particularly bad because there's so much pressure on those little girls mm-hmm. and when they're just kids. And because gymnastics, the way that it is now, it just fucks up your body for life because gymnasts are not allowed, in the past, like in the 70s or the 80s or whatever, maybe more like the 70s, like gymnasts, if you look at them, like they looked like adult women and now you're supposed to look like an 11 year old. So you're supposed to basically not menstruate and not go through puberty so that Mm -hmm. you can look like a child and so that you can be like as light as possible. So they also all develop like eating disorders. There's so much pressure on them to say small and thin. Um, But uh, yeah, I I think ballet is not too dissimilar. I feel like so many sports and, and stuff is like this, but maybe it's kind of, it's kind of gross because we we see the Hollywood version like we see it playing out in in front of us more publicly. I feel like this is maybe somewhat similar to Amy Winehouse who had a particularly exploitative father. I don't remember that story very well. Yeah, I think her father and her boyfriend were both kind of taking advantage of her and she I mean, this was not so much in a legal sense but more that she wanted to please them so badly and be good and be loved um and they took advantage of her and yeah I think her father did kind of try to control her and he also allowed her to descend into really serious addiction and mental illness because Mm -hmm. he was pushing her to perform and tour when she really should not and she didn't want to be performing and touring and she would get like wasted and not want to go on stage and and they would push her and push her and push her and push her and it just made her worse and worse and worse until Mm. eventually she was you know killed by her addiction essentially and her the mental illness or the mental health struggles attached to that um it's crazy how much of that is in the background of like celebrity lives like how many celebrities have these overbearing kind of monster kind of parents that are they're kind of like the devouring parent like they they need to keep being the parent but they also need this is their way to freedom so they think so they need to keep the child in the child state despite the fact that the child has usually now become an adult but also how do you become a child star a child actor without your gross parents pushing you to do that like, a child can't do that on their own, and a child has no desire to be that committed to anything. That's always a parent's desire, in yeah. my opinion. Like, I don't think that yeah. there's any kid who's like, yeah, I want to train and, like, dance and sing and 
act and perform all day every day it's like no you want to go have fun and play with your friends Mm -hmm. and not have any responsibilities at all it's Mm -hmm. always I don't trust any parent that has a child who's a a child star a child actor I think that they're all pushing their kid to do what they want their kid to do um and I think it's exploitative because they're making money off of it I mean no my parents would never do that if I was like I want to be an actress they'd be like ha 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 no you're gonna have a normal life (laughs) (laughs) but it's just not normal like children can't stick to schedules like you can't book a child in and be like you have to perform at nine o'clock every night for the next week like good fucking luck Kids yeah. are <laughs> kids will just like drop everything if they feel shitty or whatever it is. It's the that's the part of being a child, and so of course yeah. they don't get to be children really. Um, and it's kind of sick that there's these like Mickey Mouse Club, um, Jackson Five are on one of those kids things as well, right? Like these whole these whole productions around producing child stars. Like what the fuck are you? Why? Why are we? trying to force children to perform that's so weird and i don't think it's cute either like when you look at um like some little girl who's got this big voice and she's singing like Mm. an adult i just find it like weird and phony and creepy because you know that somebody trained her and trained her and trained her and trained her day in and day out to sound like this and to look like this and do Mm -hmm. this with your hand and do this with your body and do this with your face and like I find it just kind of grotesque and, and yeah, quite creepy. exploitative. And like, why do we, why, I don't know why we need to watch that anyway. Like what's wrong with watching an adult perform of their own yeah. volition? I, like I, so many people think it's cute, I guess, but I don't find it cute. I find no. it weird. And so many countries have it too. Like it's massive in places like China and the Philippines. Like they have so many TV shows for like, kids to get their big break and it's really sad because you know it's often kids like when you learn the background of these people like um, Amy Winehouse or Britney or some of these people they're not really coming from money and as a small child they are already wearing the burden of we're not rich enough and I'm going to make us rich like you shouldn't know that as a child really you like, shouldn't course, know anything about money when you're a kid. Like, that's yeah. none of your business. You don't understand. You should be like me, where I was just like, we can't afford to go out for dinner. Just use your credit card. <laughs> you should just think that <laughs> a credit card is a magical tool that holds literal money on it. <laughs> you I shouldn't think know how much be... your parents make or know that your parents are stressed about money until you get well, older, I feel like. I think this is one of the ways that uh, poverty forces you to grow up quicker and I'm not saying that in all the cases of child stars they came from poverty and therefore they grew up quicker I think they maybe came from less and their parents obsession to have more forced them into knowing all of these adult world issues like the fact that mom and dad want to be rich and they want me to be famous which they should never know Um, but I feel like you know being in poverty parents don't really have a choice but to tell their kids like you actually can't afford to do that 
because we don't have the money. And, yeah, like, true. Can't and really my parents did say that to me. Like, they would be like, no, you can't go to camp. We can't afford camp. Like, no, you can't have horse riding lessons. We can't afford to do that. I still, I didn't fully, like, I didn't understand stress of money. Like, that wasn't imposed on me. And I didn't know how much money we had. Like, but I knew that I couldn't do some of the things that my friends were doing because we couldn't mm-hmm. afford to, because how else do you explain that to a child? Mm. Which I think that's fine. I mean, I developed a good, like politicized working class mm-hmm. <laughs> mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it was politicized, I was able to sort of be proud of being working class instead of ashamed about it, I guess. But I still, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't have an abundance of information about money it was i think i think there's a certain point of poverty where um you know when it affects your ability to as a parent like put food on the table and like keep the electric on and stuff like that it's like that's what that that throws kids into the adult world because it's like you can't hide some of this stuff and so i get a real sense that like the less money you have, the less obviously safeguarding you have, the less you're able to like cushion yourself and the less boundaries you have. Like you can't, as a child, when you live in poverty, you you can't, your parents aren't able to set up all these barriers to prevent you from seeing the adult world because they just don't like, you know, they got to work 18 hours a day. What are they going to, you, you're going to have to see that they're not home. They can't pretend or hire a nanny um, so you're kind of thrown into the world very yeah. rapidly, you know? Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I th- anyway, I th- yeah, I think that you're right that a lot of these parents who have kids who are child stars are doing it obviously for money. And so these kids end up with financial pressure because all of a sudden they're paying all these people and they're taking care of their families financially like it's like well, you yeah. can't stop doing this because you know our family needs to survive like I need money you're like now you're employing your mom as your manager or whatever and you can't let her down like I just it's so toxic it's it's so mm-hmm. toxic and, and it's crazy because they think it's going to be a way out but it just traps the child into this it's you know the child is now the cash cow and they can't the parents, and I feel like this is what happens with some of these celebrity parents, like they become obsessed with controlling the child and not letting the child become an adult because if they do and they say, fuck off, I'm not paying you anymore, then what have you got? Like nothing. You're back to yeah. having nothing like before. Yeah. 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 And uh, I mean, I think the, the 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 specifics of the Britney Spears situation are slightly different just in that it's not like it's very very rare for somebody to um have that kind of power over somebody so young you know she's an she's an adult woman but she's not like a 90 year old with dementia like she could drive like she could have make decisions about her own life um it's unnecessary. So it just seems really obvious that it's about her father exploiting her and, and making money off of her. Um, and so, 
Yeah, I, I just think it's quite troubling. And I guess I'm glad that people are starting to talk about it now and to like start. There's like mm-hmm. a, a free Britney movement and like mm-hmm. Rose McGowan and people are talking about it and they've they've like petitioned the government to start paying attention to this. Um, because yeah, for a long time, I just was so frustrated that people just seemed to think that it was like a cute joke, like, mm. yeah. Or like, yeah, you go girl. It's like, no, this, this person is, is on a lot of pills or is on a lot of the wrong pills or something. Yeah. 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 It's, um, interesting because that kind of exploitation can happen in many circumstances where, for example, um, a family member is aged or on the disability pension right. and the other families want to keep them in that role because they're getting some financial kickback. So they become exploitative. Um, so, you know, like the fact that as, you know, the United States is seeing this happen with one of the biggest celebrities of whatever generation and doing nothing about it to me says like, wow, isn't this kind of the, the, the tip of the iceberg of the fact that there are so many ways that people are trapped in these horrific situations and it's just kind of par for the course. We're like, oh, well, you know, like that's their family. That's not our business. Right. I find it really, I actually, I'm like very disturbed by that. It's their family. It's our business. We don't know thing. Because like on one hand, like, yeah, you don't know what's going on in anyone's personal life. So it's not necessarily your right to judge somebody's relationship um, Mm. with their family, with their partner, whatever. But at the same time, like you see something clearly exploitative or toxic or abusive going on. And it's like, oh, well, that's their private business. Like, don't judge. Um, and, yeah, I mean, don't judge is an irritating phrase in general because you are always judging, so you're just lying. It's like, well, <laughs> clearly you're judging. Like, unless you're brain dead, you're making judgments. You're assessing situations and yeah. passing judgment on those situations. That's how you think. Um but yeah, so everybody, free Britney. <laughs> there is hashtag free Britney. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean that's all we can do, really. All we can do is hashtag raise awareness. Don't forget that's to post to something do. on Instagram. Hashtag free Britney. Um, post a square. What color is square? To raise awareness and just stay positive. You know, just like maintain a positive mindset and maintain a positive and attitude. But also um, educate educate everyone on your timeline about Free Britney. <laughs> Post a pink square. Um, and, I mean, anybody who doesn't like your post, you should either unfriend them or, like, cancel them from your life or um, Tell publicly attack them and ask them why they aren't posting about Free Britney because silence is violence. And they should probably get fired. Like, that would probably be the right thing to do. Of course, they should get fired. I mean, if you hate Britney that much and you want Britney to die, you should be not allowed to work ever again. (laughs) I'm so glad we resolved that. (laughs) What an accidental segue. (laughs) Yeah, so who's been fired this week? Oh, fuck, everybody's getting fired. But, I mean, the biggest thing that happened this week, of course, is that Barry Weiss uh, resigned and Mm -hmm. Andrew Sullivan quit his column. Um, 
but there was this there was this response to the the Harper's letter that we talked about last week um, mm-hmm. that it was titled a more specific open letter on justice and open debate. So basically, what's going on is there are the the people who are criticizing cancel culture and saying this is bad, like this is impacting journalism, this is impacting our ability to talk about data, this is obviously impacting free speech, um, and then there's another group of people who are saying either there's no such thing as cancel culture or cancel culture is just the marginalized taking back power from corporations and institutions, which is ridiculous because, you know, as we discussed before, I think that the, the, the people that benefit the most from cancel culture are corporations because it's so easy for them to glom on to these hashtags and black squares and black lives matters or whatever um, and it's so easy for them to fire somebody and be like, oh, we you, that guy's racist? Like, we fired him, so we're good, mm. and we're rebranding as, like, uh, Black Lives Matter, trans, queer, inclusive, diverse corporation. <laughs> it's the bad apple, bad barrel thing, right? So the corporation goes, oh, we get we got rid of that one bad apple. It couldn't possibly be us who is a bad barrel, like forgetting that they're involved in, you know, dodgy supply chains and they've probably got a whole bunch of dodgy shit going on, like, down the ladder in their corporate structure. But, like, we fired that one guy, so we're safe now. We're, it's safeguarding, right? It's, it's like, an easy way to safeguard. I mean, if I was managing a corporation, I would fire the the one person that gets called out. So I don't Yeah, it makes a difference to you and it benefits yeah. you in fact. And like there was that article that I sent you this week from the Times that was talking about CEOs getting bonuses to meet diversity goals. Like diversity is a way for these guys who are already really wealthy to profit further and all they have to do is meet diversity goals. Tell us um, how much they earn, though. What, like how much they earn from bonuses? The COOs, like in that article, oh, they, were outlining some, they, they were outlining <laughs> some of the salaries of some of the COOs that have been given diversity quotas and bonuses, and it was like, you know, Sheryl Sandberg on $27 million a year has been given a quota of X percent and she'll get this extra bonus. And I'm like, how the fuck do you need a bonus on 27? Why would you be motivated to earn more than 27 million? Like in what world? With that kind of money. You buy like helicopters and fucking yachts. Oh my God. No, I fucking hate that shit. But you just buy dumb shit. Um, you do like dumb shit, like buy lots of houses and then change mm-hmm. the interior design and the gardens and like mm-hmm. rich people are always doing pointless shit like that. Just yeah, like, like you just like redo, like I want a new theme. <laughs> I guess, yeah, you buy houses and sell houses and buy new properties. I, I mean, it's kind of funny because they all can't travel now. So I guess that's kind of hilarious because that would be like the main thing. I mean, if I was wealthy, that's what I'd do. I'd just go yeah. to various beautiful places in the world and stay in my what beautiful houses and have parties and eat great food. Yeah. Liposuction. I, 
But I just can't imagine like <laughs> wanting a bonus, being like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to work extra hard because I need a couple more mil after my 27 that million dollar base. I can't even say it. My after my twenty seven million dollar base, yeah. If I get a, if I could just hire a couple more black people, I'll get like two more million, and then easy, I can upgrade my helicopter that I always wanted. Like I want the new one, so that will be great. The non crashing one. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what I think about when I'm, I'm like, Ugh. like okay, like I just found I just find all the language so creepy around this in that article in the Times. Um, the guy writes, making diversity targets part of compensation and disclosing them would not just give top executives a financial incentive to hire and promote more black and Latino people, but also provide a public scorecard that employees and shareholders could use to determine whether companies were following through on their commitments. Like, it's just such a joke. Like their commitments to what? Optics? (laughs) That's what the the optics, that's it. It's not committing to like, undoing the system that like ensure that people of color are or men of color I should say are imprisoned at a higher rate than um white men um or overrepresented in prison is what I should say not actually uh imprisoned do you realize that the the majority of people of color are overrepresented in poverty and things like that Okay, so I feel like you like touched promote on a one of those guys. Just <laughs> the, you've touched on a much deeper problem that is the incompatibility with the for-profit corporate model with our current issues around poverty and inequality. Like they don't match up. For example, a lot of the research and work that's done around corporate ethics and corporate social responsibility it comes from marketing, like it's done within the realm of marketing. So it is literally we're learning how to how to better manage our corporation so that it looks ethical. Yeah, it's branding it is ethical exactly. So yeah. we're changing the branding, but we're making it look like our corporation is actually conducive to a more ethical society whilst it's not conducive to an ethical society. So um, we're actually undermining the capacity for civil society to better actually regulate. And this is one of the things I found in my PhD through these corporate social responsibility ploys, like, you know, we're giving a million dollars to charity. So you can't stop us from like not mining in this endangered area or whatever it is. Um, People are essentially pacified and silenced from speaking against the corporation because communities come to rely on their funding, but also the corporation buys their seat at the table. Like they get to sit, you know, with legislators, they get to reshape legislation. So they're not operating under legislation that we as a democratic society want to impose on them to be ethical. They're actually buying a seat by saying, Hey, we're ethical. We're giving you a million dollars. Let us have a seat at the table and by getting that seat, they start shifting legislation to make their life easier. I mean, the most, the most, one of the most shitty things about all of this is that young people have really fallen for this. 
like young progressives have really fallen for this. Like they'll they've fully bought into corporate control over their entire lives, over their movements, over their activism, over speech, social media, their personal relationships. I mean, I don't know if they call themselves socialists. Maybe they do, but they certainly consider themselves to be the left, you know, the most woke or whatever, and certainly consider anybody who who disagrees with their various, you know, mantras and hashtags and activism to be right-wing, evil, Trumpy enemies. Mm-hmm. Um and all they've done, I think, is to hand over power to corporations. So mm-hmm. they've created this um, Black Lives Matter movement that is very easy for co- corporations to co-opt and to use to profit. Um, and the reason for that is that it's centered around this vague concept of racism and doesn't address class and poverty um, or misogyny, for that matter, because obviously... <laughs> no very wealthy corporation or CEO can take on class or poverty because it's it's their fault. You know they're exploiting, yeah. um, they're exploiting people who are poor, and they're contributing to this system that ensures that some people stay poor and some people are very very wealthy. And um, they, I mean, <laughs> like. I this is so disturbing to me and I don't know why it's not disturbing to other people but um there was an article this week pointing out or saying that or celebrating actually the fact that Bumble that dating app where I guess women get to contact the guy first mm-hmm. um I can't imagine this is a very successful app I don't know have you ever used Bumble <laughs> Yes <laughs> Like does that work <laughs> It's just like are there men like the on there? As, it's the same as Tinder. Like it's the same people. Like you get both apps and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Oh, I guess. God, isn't that depressing? Yes. Isn't that the whole thing depressing? <laughs> yes, is the obvious answer to my own question. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, oh, these are all the same like boring guys that I already saw on Tinder. There might be a couple more hipsters on Bumble, maybe. Really? Yeah. The guys that are, like, too cool to get Tinder, they're, like, above Tinder. They're, like, I'm not just here to I'm glad to know some people are above Tinder. Those are the kind of men that I want to date. Like, oh, you go online to date? I don't think they're any different. Like, I mean, I don't mean I'm not going on Bumble to meet men. I'm just saying I'm glad to know that there are men in the world who have some kind of standards where they're, like, no, I'm not so desperate and pathetic that I'm going to go on Tinder. (laughs) How many people did I just offend right now? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I enjoyed using them when there was like a group of me and my friends all using them and we could all laugh about what we were doing on there. But using it on my own at home would be so depressing, like not fun, not funny. Um, but I don't think the, I know they say that Bumble is different than Tinder because women first, whatever, but honestly, I I didn't see a difference in the guys from one to the other. And this is kind of, I mean, I meant more like, is it, is it, it seems like it would be harder to even meet people on there. Yeah, actually. Yeah. A lot of people, um, so in, on Tinder generally, 
people kind of reply straight away and you can get talking straight away. Where on Bumble, I just remember it was kind of like no one used it often enough to reply fast enough. So you just kind of like forget about it, move on, like lose interest. Do you know what I mean? Tinder things happen faster because there's more people. So you just like that's where you end up meeting someone. So, so Bumble this week, I guess, uh, hit a hundred million users, and they're joining up with some other dating app, and it's really great. And I bet they have a lot of diversity goals. And I was just like, you guys, you have handed over your entire lives to corporations. You have not just handed over speech and who gets to dictate what and what may and may not be said in public and, um, you know, what kinds of conversations we're allowed to have and whether or not we're allowed to refer to men as he. You've handed that power over to corporations. Um, you've let these, these corporations take your supposedly radical movements and use them to sell their products and you've also handed over your personal intimate relationships and your dating lives and your sex lives to these multi-billion dollar corporations that just want you to use this app like a slot machine or like some kind of phone video game where you just swipe, 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 swipe like a fucking creepy robot. Like, why are people buying into this? And why is this generation considered to be the most woke and progressive ever when they're actually the worst? <laughs> the worst. But remember, the, the literal is- worst. Like, you're just, you've, you've handed over everything to Facebook and Twitter and Tinder and fucking Nike. Bumble. Like, But remember, the things that they're... The things that the corporations are signing on to, which is these um, very superficial wokisms like uh, gender pronouns or Black Lives Matter as a as a Bible movement, these as a religion, these, yeah, as as a gospel, church as um, a church, that they're they want corporations to reflect those values. So the corporations are in fact reflecting the politics of the 20 something left wing user, which is like, I mean, and, and actually if you think about it, the corporations reflect their politics perfectly because we're talking about 20 something year old leftists who generally think that like, Gender pronouns and Black Lives Matter are the biggest political issues today. Um, capitalism is kind of bad, but I don't really know how it works. So I just sort of say, like, yeah, it's kind of bad. But, you know, Nike signed on to Black Lives Matter, so they're probably a good capitalist. Um, but then this other company that's just the same as Nike, they didn't sign on to Black Lives Matter. So they're probably a bad capitalist. I'm not sure, you know, what that's going to mean, like in terms of actually solving racism, but I just feel like Nike's a good one. I mean, so long as that bank fires Karen, I'm good. Yeah. You fire a couple of bad people. You put Karens. like your black square. <laughs> you fire a couple of annoying Karens uh, who are apparently 
the whole reason racism exists. You put like the black square on your Instagram, you put a couple hashtags and like, that's how we reform capitalism. I think that's the politics that we're talking about. I mean, it I mean, certainly them. that's how we address white supremacy is by firing people from their jobs and finance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so the other thing that actually is connected to this, obviously, that I wanted to talk about was this response to the Harper's letter. And there was, like, a million really annoying responses. But, I mean, what I find interesting about all of this is that if they would have kind of a cohesive analysis and cohesive politics, then it would be easier to get on board with this. But they don't. They lump in, for example you know, saying the N-word with misgendering. Mm-hmm. And I can't ever get with that because it's not the fucking same thing. They'll be like, oh, well, actually, cancel culture. So, like, changing social norms and shaming people for saying racist, for using racist slurs is, you know, the exact same thing as what people are doing now by trying to force people to use correct pronouns. Um, and so this is inherently a good thing. Um, so mm-hmm. one of the responses that I found most maddening was by this guy, um, who is the editor at Arc Digital and his name is Nicholas Grossman and he's also a poli sci prof. And I, his take made me so angry The response letter was also made me angry, partly because I had heard of literally no one who signed onto it. um, And some of the people who signed onto it stayed anonymous. Mm -hmm. It's like, you can't sign onto a fucking letter anonymously. Keep your name on, like put your name on the letter so that you're standing for something or don't. It just says you don't get to sign some like, you know, political revolutionary letter and stay in, like, what is even the point? Then you could just fake it. Also, there's no accountability there. There's no risk there. Or you could just list hundreds and hundreds of anonymous people. Like, grow some balls. Jesus. What were they signing on to, though? The open letter in response to the the Harper's letter. So this was the more specific open letter on justice and open debate. I'll read you part of it. An open letter about an open letter about an open letter about an (laughs) open letter. I'll sign that one. (laughs) We've written the openest letter of all the open (laughs) letters. (laughs) It's going to be like Inception, though. Once you get to four layers deep, it the whole thing blows up. And then you you when you die, you actually really die. I don't know if you remember Inception. You can only go I four never layers. Seen Inception is that a movie? <laughs> yeah, they're going oh. like within a dream, within a dream, and you can only go four dreams deep before, before you, you die. explode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so by the time we get to four open letters, everything's gonna. Oh, that was so funny! I lost my headphones. <laughs> Um. Wait, I okay. lost you. There you go. I got too excited. That was. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear you anymore. Okay, okay. So before I get into the Nicholas Grossman response, this is the the, the open letter response. I'll read a couple of paragraphs. So in truth. Black, brown, and LGBTQ plus people. Like, what is this group of people? Why do they keep 
grouping people who have nothing in common into one group. What are I some, find that so like, bizarre. rich, white, teenage, misogynist, faux-anarchist have to do with black and brown people? And what do all black and brown people have to do with one another anyway? Or gay like, people? All, or these are, All people? these people are having the same experience. All these people are marginalized. All these people are oppressed in exactly the same way. Like, this is just not, what this do isn't, have, this doesn't is sell your politics well. Is that not offensive? You would to think be like, somebody would be offended you're just by that. Like, you're just the like only people who are offended are the life. lesbians. The lesbians are the only <laughs> ones who are like, keep us the fuck out of this alphabet people grouping that's become like 12 letters long that we have nothing to do with. Yeah. Right. Um, So in truth, black, brown and LGBTQ plus people, particularly black and trans people can now critique elites publicly and hold them accountable socially. This seems to be the letter's greatest concern. What's perhaps even more grating to many of the signatories is that a critique of their long-held views is persuasive. So this really pisses me off because they, and we talked about this last week, I mean, they're ignoring the reality of who's getting punished by cancel culture. So sure, in some cases, it's like the editor, like one of the editors at the New York Times. Mm -hmm. Um, And in other cases, it's, you know, women who are getting fired from their teaching jobs because they posted something on Facebook that was critical of gender identity ideology and expressing concerns about women's rights. Sometimes, often it's just regular people who are asking questions about certain movements and certain forms of activism. Often it's like young journalists who just tweeted data that isn't you know, going along with the correct narrative about police brutality and racism. Um, There was the guy who lost his job because of something his dad said before he was born, and his dad didn't even mean it in an offensive way, but he lost his job anyway. Yeah. Like, it's it's just, it's, it's such a lie to say this is only impacting the elite and the powerful, and... And it's also such a lie, the last sentence. So what's perhaps even more grating to many of the signatories is that a critique of their long-held views is persuasive. So, you know, they're, I mean, you're so fucking full of yourself. Like, your your views are not persuasive. You're bullies. Mm -hmm. You're enforcing your views on other people and harassing them and harassing their employers and threatening to destroy their entire lives if they don't support your narrative. And that's what you call persuasive. You won't let the debate happen. You won't let people challenge you. And you dare to say that your views and your opinions are persuasive. You know, people will not come to our events about gender identity. We've, we've tried to have debates. We've invited many people to join panels. You know, I always say I'm happy to talk to anyone. People won't do media interviews if I'm going to be there. Like, oh, Megan's going to be there. We don't want to participate in this conversation. And you call that persuasive? No. Like, your view is the only view allowed. And no mm-hmm. other view is allowed. And nobody's allowed to question your view. Your views are not persuasive. You're fucking fascists. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're domineering bullies who are saying my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. Like you're not mm-hmm. persuading anybody of anything. You're just threatening people and saying you're a bad person if you don't believe what I believe. You're a bad person if you question what I believe. But it's also incredibly. You're a bad person if you don't like 
on Facebook what I believe or like yeah. like my Instagram post. post the right thing but it's so incredibly classist to think that this is only affecting elites like how the fuck do you know do you talk to all working class people do you recognize that for people who are at the lower ends of the ladder that like we can't afford to say things for the risk that that could have like the risk is so much greater the less money you have like they're trying to position it as well we're taking down some of these huge elites isn't cancel culture a great thing like okay yeah you're taking down a couple of elites and they're saying but look they bounce back so it proves that cancel culture isn't real like yeah they're bouncing back because they've already worked their way up the ladder you're not seeing the hundreds or the thousands of people who are at the lower end of the ladder who will never say anything publicly now or who are curtailing their career in a certain direction because they can't afford to lose their job. Like when you're working class, you can't afford it's that's such a risk to be like, oh, well, I'm going to share my opinion and I don't care if I lose my job, I lose my job. Like you can't afford to think like that. It's it's such a weird blinded way of thinking about the world that it's like well good only rich people have this problem because those are the only ones I read about um so don't worry about the poor people who we're just going to assume they all think the same way that I do because that's how I think poor people think all black people all brown people all lgbtq plus people all have progressive leftist values and they're all glad isn't it true that all all there are no conservative immigrants i'm positive i'm positive absolutely not no they all they all agree with uh with my my politics as expressed on twitter and i think they love cancel culture too they're probably really happy about it you know like i think all immigrants uh love gay people they love trans ideology. Um, <laughs> and they, they love that you could get cancelled for talking about it. I'm sure. Monogamy. They don't I'm like the serving. traditional family structure. They're definitely not patriarchal. Like, these people are delusional. Yeah. About <laughs> who these people they're purporting to represent actually think and what their politics are. Yeah. Which I find very amusing. Um <laughs> It just proves like, that those people never... are probably all anti-abortion. Like you assholes who are accusing would... us of getting bed in bed with the right. Like it's like all the people that you're claiming to represent probably don't think that women should be allowed to have abortion. And they would never agree with any of these left-wing politics. And right. how dare we assume that they should or that they'd be pro-cancel culture? And that's what I mean. Like. The poorer you are, the more you have to be worried about cancel culture because you can't afford to lose your fucking job. Like, you don't have the friends and the family with the backup funding to keep you alive if you accidentally say the wrong thing. But you're it's also just not engaged in these debates at all because you're yeah. probably too busy, like, working and trying of to course. take care of your family and you're not yeah. on Twitter talking about pronouns or white yeah. supremacy or whatever it is. Um, so this other quote from that, that open letter is, uh, so they are afforded, they are afforded the type of cultural capital, capital from social media 
that institutions like Harper's are talking about the cancelers, these new cancelers, the marginalized, the group of BIPOC or whatever they're deciding to call them. Um, this mass group of people who share a brain and share all their politics. They are afforded the type of cultural capital from social media that institutions like Harper's have traditionally conferred to mostly white cisgender people. Their words reflect a stubbornness to let go of the elitism that still pervades the media industry an unwillingness to dismantle systems that keep people like them in and the rest of us out. I can't, like, my brain, as soon as you start saying, like, white cisgender, my brain's like... You might as well be making fart noises with your mouth. I know, I know. Well, exactly. It's like you're using like elitist jargon, actually. None of this language and none of this ideology is accessible to regular people or fucking relevant to regular people. Um, Just before that, it said the letter reads as a caustic reaction to a diversifying industry. This I find this uh, I find this offensive actually a caustic reaction to a diversifying industry one one that's starting to challenge institutional norms that have protected bigotry so they think that they're challenging systems and that their cancel culture is um, changing these corporations at the root to address these these mass systems Systemic. of power that are responsible for oppressing people. And that's yeah. just simply not true. I mean, the yeah. corporations are doing fine. They've, I, like, I've, I've said this a million times, but they've handed over power to Twitter. Like, do you think Twitter gives a shit about oppressed people? Twitter blatantly refuses to reinforce their rules about um, pornography and prostitution and sex trafficking. So while they ban somebody like me for referring to a man who's a predator as he, they actively won't ban prostitution accounts, pornography accounts, things that break the rules, but they're profiting from these accounts because these accounts have tons and tons of followers and they don't have a problem with porn and prostitution. They don't need to have a problem with porn and prostitution. They need to have a problem with misgendering and people who challenge trans ideology because I guess that that's these are the organizations or people or individuals that they're serving, which are still white men. They're still it's, serving white men. The interests of white men are being represented here in that in that particular ideology in those politics. Right. But it's funny because people have learned the word systemic now in this last Black Lives Matter movement, they've decided that everything's systemic, like all the oppressions are systemic. I feel like I should stop using the word systemic because it irritates <laughs> me. Like, what the, I've already, on another show, is like, I don't even fucking know what that means. Like, stop this dumb word. So like, this is the thing about... find these, a better way to talk about it. Well, that's the problem with these kind of letters, like the one you were just reading. They mean nothing to anyone in particular they just mean something to the author who has decided that they speak for all people around the world who are black brown lgbtq and they all fit into this one group all over the world because apparently they know all of these people in this group and 
of course, they've probably never actually hung out with fuck all people except their tiny circle of little elitist friends. But hey, let's speak for all black, brown and LGBT people at the same time and then claim that we're doing systemic change by firing a couple of white people because we learned that the word systemic means something. So now we want our only pathetic attempts at systemic change, which is cancel culture, to be systemic it's, I mean, it sounds radical. That's what it, it sounds. It sounds like yeah. a, a you're putting a big word, word in front of another word yeah, and exactly. and thinking that you're making a bigger point, but actually, all you're doing is putting more words together. Yeah, and have like a real conversation with a real person. Yeah, and when you start tell, tell some like, like poor some broke man living I don't know in the South or something like that who voted for Trump that he's responsible for murder and that he's oppressing all your BIPOC friends living in New York City like I just don't I feel like these people are not in touch with reality or real people no. at all like you don't get to make those kinds of assessments and judgments about anybody else um, until you get out in the world and start having conversations with these people. And that doesn't mean just like screaming at some stranger on your, your protest route. They're um, so wrapped up in their tiny little world. Like for sure, the second they go overseas, if they had to go somewhere else, like immigrants do, I feel like this is why immigrants are a lot more down to earth. Um, I'm not trying to get into the all white people a bad thing, but I just kind of gel with immigrants easier because, like, I mean, when class, you move like, around, they're almost all bad. <laughs> <laughs> when you I mean, have to some move of around, my friends, some of my friends are middle class <laughs> hipsters living in Vancouver, but they can be most quite of those people are quite stupid and boring. Yeah, because you get wrapped up in your little bubble. Like, the more generations you go up, the higher up in your little bubble you go. Where immigrants, it's like, you need to be able to get with whatever's happening around you. You need to be able to relate to anyone around you at any time. They may not speak your language. They may have totally different customs to you. You need to get the fuck over it. Like, humble yourself. Have respect for other people. Nah, you shun them. (laughs) You go cisgender issues you're what do you do okay so what do you do you're you're repping like the black people the poor people the brown people the lgbtqi plus people what happens when one of those people says like faggot yeah you know i don't use that word i think it's a shitty word but you know what if one of them says that because a bunch of them say that word i fucking promise you what if what if one of them says you know, retard. What if one of them says the N-word? You know, like, what if one of them says, you know, like, actually, I, you know, like, I voted for Trump. Um, I think they, they're... You know, what do you do then? Do you shun them? Do you cancel them? Because isn't that, isn't that who you are? That's who you're about? Isn't that who you're representing and who you're fighting for? Like, are you going to cancel these marginalized people that you're yeah. claiming to be, like, bigging up? Like, Well, they will, because that's what we've seen is, like, uh, this guy who's Mexican background, he got fired for this totally innocuous thing that happened. Um but it's it's true. It's like if you got around these people you claim to be representing all these black, brown and LGBT POC people who all are the same people. If you actually went to another country, 
and hung out with different people, you would be so fucking lost with this bullshit, like, facade of political correctness. It's so meaningless. The second you step outside of your little localized middle-class white bubble... None of these words mean anything. Like, the average person doesn't know what the fuck cisgender is. Like, I just wanted somebody in the comments, Suzink in the comments, was like, ah, demonetize Megan. And I was like, oh, shit. I was, I'm critical of that. Well, I don't think you can say the word that I just said, the F word, let's call it. Uh, um, which is, I, no, I don't think I've ever said that word in my entire life until just now, to be honest. Um, uh, and I was using it as an example because I know that, you know, lots of people who are in these marginalized groups use that word. But mm-hmm. I mean, whatever. I, you guys, I'm, I don't make any money off these videos. <laughs> this is the problem like (laughs) the only people who can create a world where words are violence are people who live in entirely privileged sheltered bubbles like the average person can't do that because you've got to go to work, get along with all kinds of people at your job. You've got to get along with all kinds of people in your community. You've got to get over your like sensitivities and get on with the fucking job of life. The only time you can build a whole world around like, I don't like that word is when you've got the fucking money to do it. Like it takes money. The more money you have, Trust me, it's so fucking easy to build boundaries when you have money. Get your own rental, get your own spot, your office is bigger. What you can fire the people you don't like. Yeah, because you can afford a good <laughs> you can actually therapist. actually having money means that you can have relationship boundaries. I was saying that in this like kind of like it's like but what about no. my boyfriend? But no, like it's true. Like it's like financial autonomy is a major deal for women. Like, it's like, guess what? You don't have to stay in an abusive relationship because you can afford to leave and rent another place, which so many women trapped in abusive relationships can't do. Like, you can afford to support your kids if you leave. You can afford to hire a lawyer to keep your kids away from this abusive man if you leave. I mean, people don't talk about money at all, but money is almost everything. It is all like rich women get raped and abused too. Like, and uh, you know, I always, feminism is about all women. Feminism is about right wing women, left wing women, rich women, poor women, you know, white women, BIPOC women, like all women. But the reality is that you have so much more freedom and autonomy um, and you're more easily able to escape and protect yourself from violence and those kinds of vulnerable situations that you'll end up in if you're broke, prostitution, pornography, abusive relationships, if you have money. Right. That's the thing I was talking about when I said rich white people don't get it. And that's why this whole world of political correctness has emerged from this rich white bubble, because it's so disjointed from the real world where things happen. And I don't mean that these people don't live in the real world. They they obviously live in their real world. 
but they don't live in the world where you're continuously at risk of these things. Because anytime someone says a word they don't like, or their partner becomes uh, abusive, or someone does something at work that they don't agree with, they can just fucking leave. They can just go get their own place, start again in a new city, or they can go stay with their parents, or they can ask their grandparents for some money. Like when you have nothing, you're stuck. You can't fucking move. You can't dictate how people speak to you. You can't dictate that your partner stopped beating you. You can't dictate that that person at work changed their opinion. You don't have the power to leave, to tell other people how to behave, to reshape the world around words that feel good for you. So, of course, the more money you have, the more boundaries you set. And that was so obvious for me moving to a poor country where I was like fuck like in poor countries you're you're just like on top of each other all the time like there's no privacy there's no personal space and you really have to get over it like people do offensive shit all the time and you just have to fucking get over it and get on with the day because what else are you gonna do you're gonna sit having a tantrum every day about that one thing someone said but this is what these fucking people are doing. They're spending their whole lives having fucking tantrums about like, don't say that word. It upset me. Their whole fucking career is a tantrum about words. And yeah, now their whole fucking career is their tantrum about words. Like it's like, oh, well, why do you get to keep your job? Why do you get to keep your job? It's because you chose the right politics and you canceled everybody else. It's because you're a liar and you're not an authentic person. So your because fucking tantrum about words is why you have a job. Their tantrum puts who gets them to have a job in a, media. It's these people who toe the line. They get to be in the moral high ground because they're always having a sad about everyone else. They're always having this kind of tantrum episode about a word a colleague said. And the crazy thing is they then have the audacity to say, like, we're doing systemic change against the white capitalist, heteropatriarchal, cis-normative patriarchy. Like, are you for real? All you're doing is having a fucking tantrum inside your bullshit white privilege bubble and you have the audacity to say you represent marginalized people because you use these made-up words about cisgender and heteronormative capitalist patriarchy. Are you crazy? You don't represent anyone except your own bullshit belief system. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, I'm sorry, there's somebody yelling outside my window. This is what happens when I leave my window open. Mm. Um, there's always people yelling and fighting in my alley. Um, <laughs> if only I could afford to buy a condo. Sell drugs in my Buy my drugs in the alley, Laura. It's so crazy, like, how much having Did you just miss changes? my joke? Yeah, I mean, I would also <laughs> buy drugs in the alley. I need to be validated. <laughs> I would buy, I'd buy drugs in the alley. If I had an alley, I'm okay, living okay, in okay. a rich area right now. I can't go to the alley and buy drugs. So if you could just acknowledge my rich oppression really? of not having access. That because I'm in this fucking soft story, rich dude. Story. suburb. It's like a jail. There's no drugs and there's no poor I people. live in a rich area and I can't go to the alley and buy drugs. It's a horrible. Just like, 
there's just like nice views everywhere and everything's clean and it's just i feel so trapped by cis gender heteronormative capitalist patriarchy the norms. they surround me i don't <laughs> have any drugs <laughs> i'm trying to like i think we've done a really good job of following through on many of our promises for this show so i just want to continue on that Great path and finish talking about this article and then we can go to patreon and i can tell you guys about what happened on the weekend um, <laughs> um so okay so this article by thomas or no Nic- nicholas grossman at arc digital digital it's called free speech defenders don't understand the critique against them it was such a bad article like i was losing my mind while i was reading it um so thomas chatterton williams is the guy who um who who did the the harper's letter and there was this all this turmoil on Twitter because people discovered, because he tweeted about it, that he had once kicked somebody out of his house for talking shit about Barry Weiss. And according to um, Williams, the expelled individual could not substantiate the ridiculous claims he was repeating about Weiss, which Williams says is typical of many who criticize her but can't name a single thing she's written, which is true. And they're saying, oh, you're a hypocrite. Like, you can't you can't write this letter in Harper's that's criticizing cancel culture when you once kicked somebody out of your house for shitting on Barry Weiss. You're doing the exact same thing. <laughs> Which I find to be, like, the dumbest comparison ever. Because, obviously, what happened is they probably got in, like, a toxic fight. And this guy was saying shitty things about his friend. And eventually it came to blows. And he was like, fuck you, get out. Um, that's not the same as trying to get someone fired from their job or, like, publicly shaming them to the point that they can't leave their house anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was his main piece of evidence as to why... That was a bunch of people's main piece of evidence about why <laughs> this letter is bullshit because Thomas... That was like, um, sorry, but that got was got in a fight the, with somebody about Barry That was the best house. scene. I just imagine them like sitting on their leather Chesterfield round, like swelling their brandy, and they're like, "I don't agree with what you're saying. Could you please leave the premises?" That's the kind of argument. I'm sure he was just being annoying, and he just like couldn't <laughs> take it anymore. Um, okay, so he says, he says, here's the critique. You say you value free speech and oppose social penalties for bad speech, but your actions show that you don't. You value free speech for you and people who agree with you and oppose social penalties for expressing things you agree with. I mean, social penalties, like... What does that mean? I mean, he's not, I, I just, I see this whole situation as very silly. Like, this is about, like, something personal that's happening with a personal friend yeah. inside your home. It's not something that's happening publicly and impacting your ability to make a living or move around in public without and fear of being beat up And that's why this doesn't make much sense to me. Because like, I'm like, what's the person, I don't get the personal story behind this and that's the problem with so many of these talking heads in the media is like they're having these personal disagreements but in their bubble but they're making it sound like they're talking about the world and they're not like this doesn't mean anything to the average person like what (laughs) what this this personal disagreement you had now justifies all of cancel culture 
Well, no, they're just saying he's a hypocrite. They're saying, oh, well, he canceled somebody for having different views than him. So, you know, this Harper's letter is illegitimate. That's essentially the argument they're making. But it's silly because it's private versus public. And he didn't cancel anybody. I mean, I'm sure we can all imagine ourselves in this situation where we get in a toxic fight with somebody that's not going anywhere and they storm off or we're like, fuck off. You know what I mean? Like, is that the same thing? So, you know, that was his starting point. Um, and then, you know, the, the worst thing that he said, or what the thing that I've, I found to be a terrible argument, but this is an argument that I think a lot of people are making who are let's pro cancel culture or, you know, like against the anti cancel culture people. Um, so he, he, he points out that, and, and this is true. I think a substantial majority of Americans agree that the government should not use state power to punish people for expressing their opinions, Um, especially opinions about the government. Um, And so mostly what people will say about cancel culture is they're like, it's fine because this isn't about government imposed cancel culture. Like we're not throwing people in prison for their views. We're just criticizing them. That's all we're doing. And you just don't want to be criticized and you're not used to it and you can't handle it. Um, Yes. Yes. Totally. You're like, we're not Maoist. We're just, we're just on Twitter having a good talk. (laughs) if you happen to get fired lose your livelihood and end up homeless mm, that was on you that was your choice oh you can't live in the city you grew up with anymore and you have no friends or community or a job i guess you're just weak like if you end up (laughs) jobless i guess that's just a weakness of your own man the crazy thing is that they're the ones who are so offended by terms of speech that they need people to lose their jobs and they're now telling the people that lose their jobs that they're weak for not wanting to lose their jobs (laughs) right what the fuck Yeah, and I mean, like, but also, like, I just, I feel like that, it's not even true that, so first of all, like, we're talking about the media, like, we're talking about the information that we can have access to, and we're not allowed to have access to certain information anymore. Um, We're not allowed to listen to certain people speak, we're not allowed to share certain information, we're not allowed to share certain facts, Um, so... I mean, if that's the reality, then who cares if it's the government doing it or if it's the corporations doing it? Like, you're Mm -hmm. acting like it's a better thing that Mm -hmm. corporations get to control who says what and who has a job and who can work and who can speak. Mm -hmm. Um, Would would it be better if the government was deciding that? Like, is it better that you've handed over control to corporations? Um... And, you know, he so he goes on to say, that's what social activists, social justice activists are doing. They're pushing for, I mentioned this earlier, he's like, all social justice activists are doing are trying to turn, like, bad people into good people or trying to change society through ideology. So that's what social justice activists are doing, pushing for certain expressions, such as telling a trans woman, you're really a man, or flying the Confederate battle flag to join N-word and F-word on the socially unacceptable side of the line. So he's saying all the counselors are doing is trying to make it so that it's not okay for people to engage in hate speech, essentially. And he's saying that, you know, calling a trans woman a man is hate speech. 
um, just like using the N-word is hate speech. But the problem with that argument is that if you're saying that these things are hate speech, then effectively you are advocating for people to be jailed for their views. Like, there aren't hate speech laws in the U.S., but there are hate speech laws in Canada and in the U.K., and if you're going to have a hate speech law, then that means that there's going to be it's going to be illegal for you to say certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't, you can't openly say this is hate. This is harm. Um, this is violence. These words are violence. And then simultaneously say, Oh, but we're not like pushing for people to be jailed. It's like, well, where's the end of the line? Like, where is this going? What are you doing with this narrative? If you're saying, if you say this, if you publish this op ed, you're responsible for murder. You're mm-hmm. harming people you're responsible for violence, then where does that argument go? What's the point of saying that unless you're going to say, it's illegal for you to say this because you're uh, akin to a murderer? Mm. The crazy thing for me is that for these people, they don't recognize that the behavior they're engaging in is totalitarian. And when you bring up things like, well, look at Maoist China or look at like, you know, the communist era and the way they started enforcing these social norms, which then became laws, which then became totalitarianship. They're like, yeah, but we're doing it the good way. So it's not the same. Like, yeah, but you're doing the exact same thing, which is you're slowly integrating the fact that people have to speak a certain way then they have to think a certain way then they have to live a certain way and then we're going to eventually mandate it and right now it's only the private sector who's doing it yes true it's only twitter and those other players in the silicon valley who are mandating you have to use certain terminology on our um, app or whatever the private sector has always been political too. It's not that like they have nothing to do with the government. Like I said before, a lot of uh, public players will engage in charity and stuff like this so that they can have a role in regulation, in in setting and resetting regulation. So they're political actors too. Just because we think of them as corporations doesn't mean they're not having a role in regulating the way we live and dictating the way we live. Sure, they're not doing it as elected leaders, which means they're even less accountable than our elected leaders. It means that they they can essentially just do whatever they want. And we have to think that it's okay because it's for shareholders or it's for a subset of the population who have a certain political belief. So that makes it a good thing to give them the kind of role that we usually only entrust in the government that we elect Uh, totally like we didn't elect these fucking people we didn't elect twitter to decide what we could say but they are we have no power over twitter at least we have power over the government they're supposed to be working for us we vote for them like there is accountability like there's no accountability for these corporations If it were that Twitter and the Silicon Valley were particularly right-wing and they were kicking off left-wing views from their platforms or they were trying to get left-wing views fired, like if you say a particularly left-wing thing, we're going to get you fired from your job. Like if that was happening, 
they'd be like, well, this is obviously a fucking dictatorship. This is obviously fascist. But because we're doing it to conservatives, it's a good thing and we should be for it. And it could never possibly end up being just as problematic as all the other historical examples of dictatorship. And not just conservatives, but feminists. Oh, anyone. Yeah. Like regular working class people, people of color. Anyone with an opinion that's got the right opinion. Um, Okay, good Mm -hmm. talk. I think we covered a lot today. Um, Awesome. You guys, uh, we're here every Thursday night for this live stream. Um, I can't guarantee that it's going to be anything. (laughs) I can't (laughs) make any guarantees at all. except Professional, intellectual. We'll be here. We'll have professional and intellectual and always on time and always following our script because we write a script beforehand and we pretty <laughs> much read the script out that's what podcasts do now right that was a joke that no one's gonna get except for me <laughs> <laughs> i hope you all and liked anyone who's in that facebook group <laughs> um, so uh, Laura always says it's important for people to subscribe. I don't particularly care if people to subscribe people to this. By the end of the show, I've okay. had like a couple of drinks and I start to slur my words and things like that. So you guys will just have to imagine how much subscribe. more fun it gets on Patreon. <laughs> okay. You do it. You go ahead. So you this have is the subscribe. same job as Megan Murphy. I'm Megan Murphy. I'm Laura McNally. Please remember to like, subscribe, leave a comment. And if you want to share feedback, because lots of people have been helpfully emailing in positive feedback, but it's way better if you can share that feedback on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can leave feedback anonymously in all of the podcast players, obviously people want to remain anonymous. You can be anonymous on YouTube. You can be anonymous on podcast players. Feedback's way better when it's public than when it's private. So that would be great. Thank you. Love you. See you on Patreon. Okay. The link is down below. The link is down below. Thanks, Laura. Yeah. Okay. See you there. Okay. Bye. Bye.